Welcome to the Yogi Therapist Podcast, where we talk all things mental health, personal growth, and spiritual development. I'm your host, Rachel, a psychotherapist and yoga teacher based in Sydney. This is your space to gain new insights and tools so that you can live a life that feels aligned and meaningful. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Yogi Therapist podcast. My name is Rachel and I am the Yogi Therapist. So today's episode is really all about laying the groundwork for this podcast. I want to give you guys a little bit of insight into who I am, um, my background, what it is that I've studied, what it is that I'm passionate about. And I really wanted to outline my desires for this podcast, the reason that I'm making it and what I want this podcast to be. So let's jump into it. Who am I? Now, I know that some of you already know who I am probably very well. I can bet good money that my mum is probably listening. So thanks for the support. (laughs) Um, Some of you may be people that have come to my yoga classes, people that have found me um, through Instagram. Some of you may be my clients. Some of you may be my future clients. Some of you may have absolutely no idea who I am. So if this is the first time that we are meeting, my name is Rachel Isabel McGinty, and I am a psychotherapist and yoga teacher based in Sydney. Now, my story about how I became a therapist. Oh, I could talk about this forever, but I won't. I'll give you a nice brief summary. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a therapist when I was 11 years old. I knew that it wasn't just what I wanted to do. It's who I wanted to be. So when I was around nine, my parents broke up and my mom had the wisdom and the insight to take me and my siblings to go and see a therapist just to make sure that we were coping okay with the divorce, with the separation, um, with all the big changes that have kind of had happened in our family. And I remember not really knowing what I was going in for. Um, I thought that I was in trouble. I didn't understand why I needed to talk to this authority figure. Um, but I had the most life-changing experience in that hour. Um, I was having, I was stuck in a bit of a dynamic with my older brother. I was the youngest and I adored my big brother. I just wanted him to like me, as is generally what happens to us younger siblings. (laughs) Um, I really just wanted him to hang out with me and let me in on the games. And he was just a typical older brother and spent most of his childhood putting me in headlocks and carrying me around the house like that. Um, And I remember so clearly she had a whiteboard and she drew this um, image about a um, the space closer and the space creator between two people. So my plan was, oh, I want to be close to him. Let me just get in his face. Let me crawl on him. Let me annoy him. I just want to be around him. Now, she explained to me that the closer that I come to him and invade his space, the more that he needs to pull back and regain his space. Um, and that if I wanted him to let me in and 
um, want to hang out with me, I probably needed to take a step back and allow him to come to me. Now, at the age of 28, the concept that being annoying probably isn't going to want to make people hang out with you is not revolutionary. (laughs) But at the age of 11, this was a game changer. I felt like I actually had the information to get me where I wanted to go. I had some power in knowing how to get what I want. And this feeling was incredible. I remember walking out of that session and going, I don't know what she did. I don't know who she is, but that's what I want to do with my life. So at the age of 11, it just clicked. This is what I was supposed to do. And I stayed really, really committed to that. Then at the age of around 14, I became quite severely depressed. There was quite a bit of self-harm, suicidal ideations, struggles with eating. It was a pretty dark period in my life. And I remember the day that I knew something was wrong. Things hadn't felt right for a long time. I was um, withdrawing from my life. I was extremely teary all the time. All you did was have to look at me and I would probably burst into tears. Nothing was giving me joy anymore. And The day that I knew something was wrong, we were going to bowling at school because that's just a normal thing to do. (laughs) Um, And we were sitting on the bus and I remember it was time to get off the bus and everyone was excitedly jumping off, everyone talking and chatting and having fun. And I remember feeling paralyzed with sadness. It was a very clear, distinct feeling of, I don't want to get off this bus. I don't want to continue with what is about to unfold, but I also don't want to be anywhere else. I kind of just want to dissolve and and shrivel away. And that's when I knew that something was wrong. So I told my mom, I reached out for more help and immediately we decided to go to a psychologist. And my experience of the psychologist was fine. And that was it. It was fine. It didn't really do much. She was nice enough, but I never really felt like much progress was being made. We were doing cognitive behavior therapy, which is usually the most common treatment approach for depression and anxiety in um, Australia. And if you've ever experienced that, a lot of people have different thoughts on it. Some people find it um, a game changer. They found it really, really helpful. I personally didn't. I was really disengaged and being told that my thoughts and my emotions were distortions and something that needed to be challenged just really caused more of an internal fracture within me. Like something was wrong. There was something um, broken about me that I needed to fight against. And I was probably seeing this psychologist for maybe six months to a year. I can't really remember. And I just felt really stagnant. Um, I wasn't engaged at all. She gave me homework (laughs) as is common in um, CBT. And I remember I would, mom would pick me up from school and I would be driving in the car towards my session and just like really quickly, like filling out my mood diary, just making shit up um, because I didn't want to get in trouble. So not actively engaged in therapy. And after a while, we just decided let's try something else. I tried acceptance and commitment therapy with another therapist Again, I found that a little bit more helpful. There was definitely a lot in there that I learned that I'm really grateful for now, but still 
no big shifts and changes. So mum had, once again, the brilliant idea to take me back to that therapist that I saw when I was 11 because I seemed to really respond well to her. And when I tell you (laughs) that within one to two sessions of seeing her, something shifted I can't, I don't have words to express what it felt like to walk back into her office. I felt like this heaviness that I had been wearing for years started to lift. Now I will continue to work with her for maybe a year or two, um, but she just had a totally different approach. It was very warm, very validating. I always say to my friends that I even send to this therapist now that It's like having an auntie just give you a hug and make you a cup of tea and, you know, care about what's going on with you. So continue to work with her. She worked as a psychotherapist, so a little bit different to a psychologist. We did a lot of um, unpacking. We did a lot of work around emotion and the body. And she is someone that I've continued to see up until this day. So first time I saw her, I was 11. I'm now 28. Do the maths. My God, I've been seeing her for 17 years. I've been seeing her for more than half of my life, right? Yeah, that's more than half. (laughs) Um, And I still see her to this day. And in fact, she is my supervisor, which means that I now work with her um, on my cases, with my clients. And so if 11-year-old Rachel knew that Gail would one day be my colleague, I think she would just melt into happiness. So that's why I became a therapist. I, um, around the age of 16 or 17, I went through my really nihilistic existential phase of being a teenager and I became obsessed with philosophy. I loved to read philosophy. And so I knew that I wanted to pursue that. I wasn't sure how that necessarily was going to align with psychology. Um, I knew that they had such an overlap, but how I could turn that into a path forward, I wasn't really sure. I got accepted or I got offered a um, scholarship for a Bachelor of Philosophy at Notre Dame, but I decided to turn it down just because I knew that I didn't want to do just plain philosophy. I did want to be employed at one point in my life. So I decided to go to the University of Sydney where I studied philosophy and psychology. Now, I took my sweet ass time getting that qualification. (laughs) I would do one or two subjects at a time and then go and travel for a few weeks, a few months, I probably took, I don't even know how long, but I took a long time. And I am so glad that I did. I remember Gail saying to me that um, there will be learning that needs to be done at university in the books, but there's also a certain amount of learning that needs to be done by just living. I remember she said, you know, you don't want to be a therapist at 23. You need to go out, live a little, get divorced, get cynical, heal, then come back. <laughs> now, I didn't get divorced, but I did do um, a lot of that. Um, so once I finished that, I then became or I then went and enrolled myself in a master's of psychotherapy and counselling at the Australian College of Applied Psychology. And that brings us to today. I now work in private practice, working one-on-one with a number of clients. And people ask me, isn't it hard being a therapist? Don't you get so tired of listening to people? And the answer is truly, truly no. I freaking 
love my job. I feel like the luckiest human being alive. I feel so fired up. I feel so passionate. I feel so aligned. And going to work every day is just... Uh, it barely feels like work. I feel like I get to go and just chat with people for X amount of hours a day and get to call it a job. I feel unbelievably blessed. So I've been practicing yoga for maybe, oh, let me have a think about this. I want to say 13 years. That might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever did yoga, we had a yoga teacher come into our school and run a free session. And we did a bunch of arm balances and I stretched things that I didn't even know existed. And then I remember at the end, she did this really beautiful, deep yoga nidra, a body scan. And it was the first time that I ever experienced the yoga high. Now, if you've ever done yoga, you know what I'm referring to. If you've never done yoga, it's pretty common that at the end of your class, you kind of walk away feeling a little bit stoned, <laughs> really, really relaxed, really present, really, really grounded. And this feeling was revolutionary to me. And I remember she said, this feeling I want you to see how long you can hold onto it. And I tested myself. I kind of tried to block out the world around me and just continue to hold on to this feeling um, my whole way home. And I remember catching the bus home was an experience that I'd never had before. I felt like I was witnessing my life. I felt like I was really present to things that I had been missing for years. It was just such an addictive experience. I remember wanting to feel like that all the time. So I continued to practice, not consistently. I would go once every few months when mum could drive me to a yoga studio. <laughs> um, and then I became really serious about the practice probably about seven years ago, which is when I did my teacher training. Um, so I've been teaching now for seven years and I teach in a number of studios in Sydney. So about this podcast, do we really need another white woman wellness podcast? And I'm not going to lie, that was a serious contender for the name of this podcast, but I've really been sitting with the idea of doing this for about a year. I had the desire to do it come up a little while ago and my initial reaction was, there's no need. It is so overdone. We don't need another voice. What are you really going to contribute? Direct your energy elsewhere. But the desire just sat within me for so long and it wouldn't really go away. Now, one of my spiritual practices, one of my practices that I learned in my work with Gail was to follow the thread of desire, things that make you feel excited, that make you feel energized, that feel aligned, things that feel expensive as well, things that make you feel nervous and like it's going to be really stretching your capacities. Follow that. It doesn't need to make sense. You don't have to know how it'll turn out or where it's going. You just need to take the first step. And I always give this analogy to my clients. It's one that I absolutely love that when we think about where we're going in life, we don't need to know the end destination. If you think about a GPS, when you put the destination in, you don't go through and read step by step what you need to do. All you do is the step that's in front of you. Drive down the street 100 meters and turn right. And once you've turned right, 
the next step makes itself clear. So this is me throwing my hat over the fence and going after it and just putting this out there, you know. And the other reason that I decided to go for it was I love the act of creation and creation for the sake of creation, the the beauty of um, creating a concept, of putting it together and then putting it out into the world and releasing it. It's no longer yours. So whether it's just my mum listening, whether this is the only episode that I ever do, that is enough for me. Now, another reason that I decided in the end to just do it is because it is a part of my desire to make therapy more accessible. It pains me that there is a paywall to accessing mental health support. Now, in Australia, we are quite lucky. We do have the Medicare system, but unfortunately, because of a lot of bureaucratic issues, psychotherapists are are not given the Medicare rebate. And so this is my attempt to put out some resources for free to be able to support people in a way um, if they're not able to get support or even if they want something to supplement their support. Now, podcasts have also been a really big part of my self-growth journey. Um, Alongside 17 years of therapy, which I only just did the maths and I'm kind of terrified of that (laughs) now that I say it, um, there's been a lot of self-study. Like I said, I used to read a lot of philosophy. If you ever see my bookcase, it is just self-help books. I remember when my partner and I moved in, he had all this fiction and I was disgusted that he wanted to put his fiction in with all of my amazing psychology books. Um, but he he ended up winning that battle. I also listen to a lot of TED Talks. I watch a lot of interviews. I read a lot of research literature. And what I found is that we usually need a little bit of a layered approach. Therapy is amazing, but the self-study really just does accelerate the growth. So I wanted to make a resource that people could use alongside therapy um, and to just give people a little bit of the insights and information that I know has changed my life. Now, I want to just say up front that a lot of the things that I speak about won't necessarily be my own ideas. I really, really do stand on the shoulders of giants and I will be diligent to reference people, to uh, provide Uh, references and resources and sources wherever I can. I'll talk a lot about the literature because I think it's really, really important to integrate the science behind this as well. I know that this stuff can get a little bit woo-woo, but what I think is amazing is that some of the woo-woo stuff, mind you, some of it, (laughs) really is supported by the literature. So I will be diligent as much as possible to really make sure that this is a fact-based podcast. Now, the last reason that I decided to just do it and to make this podcast is because of the conversations that I find myself having throughout my life. I am so blessed to know a lot of knowledgeable experts. Now, If you know me, I don't do small talk. Small talk is nails on a chalkboard to me. Um, If you've ever sat next to me at a wedding or an event, we're either talking about your childhood trauma or we're not talking at all. (laughs) So I know, I know I'm a terrible guest to be stuck next to, but that's just how I like to connect to people. Let's get into the mud. Let's get, let's get into it. Um, And so I find myself sitting in coffee shops and sitting at dinners and in yoga studios, just having these hour-long 
in-depth conversation with people who are way smarter than me, who have so much knowledge in very specific areas. And so that's what I want to offer you guys. I want to give you insight into some of the, the ideas that I have been blessed to hear. So I'm going to be bringing on a lot of guests, experts in trauma, in breathwork, in tantra, in somatic therapy, in relationships. Maybe I'll even bring Gail onto the podcast. <laughs> um, and so that's the outline. I'm going to be doing some solo podcasts and I'll also be bringing on a bunch of really intelligent, cool people. Now, a little bit about psychotherapy. So the number one question that I get whenever I tell people that I'm a psychotherapist is, what's a psychotherapist? <laughs> and I get it. It's not the most commonly practiced um, modality or mode of therapy in Australia. Most people see psychologists. So first things first, they are extremely similar. We're working with mental health. We're working with helping people to unpack their past and to improve the quality of their life. So very similar there. Um, but there are a few fundamental philosophical differences between the two practices. Now, I want to speak very generally, generally, and it is quite nuanced. I don't want to bore you and, and get too deep into it, but psychology tends to use a biopsychosocial model of therapy. So that's how they see um, mental illness. They see it through the lens of biology, of psychology, and of sociology. It's a bit of a triangulated um, approach. Psychotherapy tends to be more humanistic. Now, it was born from the work of Freud, which I know can be terrifying to hear, but I promise there have been decades of refining and challenging his work. Um, but it really does pl place a big emphasis on the unconscious. So we look a lot at unconscious patterns, at about how the past can manifest into the present. We look at the body, at somatic experiences. We look at trauma and we look at emotion. Now, psychotherapy is inherently non-pathologizing. And what I mean by that is psychotherapists do not do um, psychometric testing. If you come to me, I am not qualified, nor would I want to diagnose you with a mental illness. You're not going to sit in front of me and do a DAS and I'll give you a diagnosis of clinical depression. We do reference the DSM and we, of course, um, work with the information that psychology does provide. However, it is just a different way of seeing um, challenges that humans go through. An incredible therapist that I studied with and have the privilege of knowing, Sophie Mellish, gives a really, really beautiful summation. She says that the psychology tends to assess, diagnose, and treat, whereas psychotherapy unpacks, explores, and supports. My personal approach is also deeply informed by yogic teachings and the teachings of Buddhism. And what I love about this, it really does go off the back of um, oof, what's his name? I know his last name is Epstein, but I know that that probably needs a little bit more clarification. <laughs> um, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Um, in his book, The Everyday Trauma of Life, he really challenges the notion that the goal of life is to be happy. And I love this approach. You'll notice that whenever I talk about what it is that I want from my clients, what we're working towards, I will never have the goal or the ideal of happiness. Now, I am not anti-happiness. I quite enjoy happiness, which I know is a, a bold stance to take. <laughs> um, but when we set our ideal or our goal at being happy in our life all the time, we really do misunderstand what it means to be human. 
Now, the first noble truth of Buddhism is that life is suffering. Now, there's a few more teachings and truths after that to make that first one palatable, but I think that that's a really good place to start. That built into our experience of the human condition is a ton of challenge and suffering and struggling, and that's actually the correct place to start. That when things are difficult, when things go wrong in quotation marks, that It doesn't mean that anything in our life is inherently wrong. In fact, this is our catalyst towards growth, to greater self-awareness, to a deeper exploration about who we are, why we're here, and what do we want to do with our time here. So I am pro messiness. I love getting in the mud with people, looking at the messiness and the complexity of life, and not trying to order it and make it less messy, but rather getting good and competent and comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is something that I talk a lot about in yoga. Now, what I do want from my clients is that they become deeply empowered, that they are self-aware, self-sustaining organisms that have a sense of self-efficacy when it comes to navigating hardship. Because once we get through one hardship, life will always offer us the next. And my approach um, not only to therapy, but to life, is that life is not happening to us, it is happening for us. And that humans have this really, really beautiful and unique capacity to transform um, struggle and pain and discomfort into wisdom, into art, into empathy and compassion. So that's just a little bit about how I work, what my underlying philosophy is, and, and what I really want to share with clients and on this podcast. I personally am quite spiritual. I grew up quite Christian, Catholic to be specific, which isn't something that I identify with anymore, but I really do see therapy as a spiritual practice. Now, I don't bring that into my practice unless that is something that the client desires. I work with people of all faith backgrounds, of no faith backgrounds, and I always want to work with people where they're at. So there it is. That's the first episode of the Yogi Therapist podcast. If you have made it this far, thank you. Um, What I really want to do is open this up to you. I would love to know what it is that you would like to hear, um, the topics that you would like covered. Give me any feedback. If I'm yelling too close into the microphone, please let me know. Um, My DMs are open within reason (laughs) Um, and I would love to love to hear from you. So thank you for joining me on the first episode and I will hopefully be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Yogi Therapist podcast. If you enjoyed what was discussed today, then consider subscribing and leaving a review. Check out the show notes for any additional information about what was coming here today. And you can find me at theyogitherapist.com.au or on Instagram at yogitherapist underscore more information on me and my therapy. Until next week.